Welcome back, everybody, to episode six of Stirring the Pot. I've got RJ. What's going on? Andrew. What's up? And Gabe. Hey. How we doing, everyone? Feeling pretty good. I actually, before we start, I want my apologies right now for saying my Notre Dame take would be wrong. Oh. So... Let me hear it. I mean, we we were we were all thinking like USC was going to lose, except Andrew. We didn't expect them to like. No, that I bad. said no. I said blow them out, That's and it uh, happened. Yeah, <sighs> it was, was so luck though. I'm gonna, I'm not going to lie. It's all luck. It was definitely a spectacle. Um, we'll get into that later. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Uh, so we're going to start out with our typical college football recap of last week. Gabe, you want to kick it off for us with a little depression? Ah, uh, yes. As a Mountaineer fan, scrolling through the uh, the Damn. stories on Snapchat. People don't understand. I've been a Mountaineer fan all my life, and there's always this one game that we just play down the competition. One year, it was Pat White versus Pitt, where we lost out on the championship game. Oklahoma State versus Will Greer. And now it's Houston versus WVU on a Hail Mary. That's the first time I've ever seen my team lose on a Hail Mary. And it's because you forgot the number one rule of a Hail Mary, which is knock the ball down. Bat it down. Always knock it down. And we've had trouble with catching the ball, offense and defense, and it showed. I have to say, Garrett Green did play pretty good. I mean, career high in passing yards, had that his first interception of the year in enemy territory. If we would have got a field goal out of that, we would have won. Also, the penalty was bad. Taking your helmet off in the field play, that's, that's a terrible penalty. Yeah, I remember I was watching it with RJ and Andrew here, and I... Literally, you can rem- you can quote me on this. I did say that penalty is going to cost us something, and it ended up it ended up costing us something. It really did. I mean, absolutely. I'll even throw this question out there. Do you think if that say he kept his helmet on, do you think we lose that game? No, we don't. No, no. you you subtract fifteen yards. That's a much harder throw than you think, and we don't even know because the kickoff. And then again, Neil Brown's like the number one guy we have to watch out for is Matthew Golden. He's he's dynamic. He's a crazy in the return game. First return of the game, he takes it to the house. Dude, spe- he he is lightning speed. The special teams killed us. It, it was, and it was just a mistake. We averaged three and a half penalties per game. That was fifth best in uh, college football, and we had eight that game, and that's what killed us. Couldn't keep the emotions in check. The discipline was not there, and we played our style of football, and even we, we even like, went away from our style of football because we were down, and it was still working. We just need to work on the small stuff. Yeah, and I mean, like you were saying before, Garrett Green with a career high in passing yards, right? Yeah. That was, it was definitely a little surprising because normally we don't see the team throw the football that much. We usually see a lot more run plays, but it was great to see Garrett Green get out there and throw it. It's good to see the switch up exactly, and that shows we can pass the ball. We're not just a run-first team, and if the run collapses, we're screwed type of mentality. So going into this Oklahoma State game, I think that's something we need to keep an eye out for sure. Yeah. Um, let's just, to put it in simple terms, that boy can spin it. And uh, he definitely he definitely showed it. It was, it was definitely a big, big performance from Garrett Green. In the end, it did come up a little short, but... That Hudson Clement touchdown with fifty for fifty yards with like twelve seconds left. Oh, we were all jumping and jumping. Your RA kind of like was hovering around us after that. We were being so loud. It was it was amazing. It was on fourth and ten too. Like that yeah. was that was the game right that there. That is a ballsy play call. Ballsy. Absolutely. I think though, regardless, it was a very humbling loss. It kind of brought us back down to earth. But I think like the season's not over. Like there's still there's still a path. It's just we're gonna need some help. That's all I'm gonna say on that. 
I think the big thing is seeing how the team responds to that. That is a heartbreaking loss, and we'll see whether this team just crawls in a hole and dies following the loss or if they start to beat the trash out of Oklahoma State this weekend. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a game to watch out for with this Oklahoma State game. And cutting Neil Brown's longest win streak in program history for, for Neil Brown, it's, it's, not, it's not good, but like you said, we can come back next week. We can make it right. Yeah, we definitely can because I know the NF, uh, the uh, Big 12 championship game is a dream, but it's still accomplished if we beat Oklahoma and win out. But right now, I think the goal is to make a good bowl game. Yeah. I mean, that was the goal coming into the season. Yeah. But it definitely, with the trajectory of the team right now, it definitely seems possible for us to make at least a decent bowl game, if not a very good bowl game. But, I mean, we'll see come the end of the season. Andrew, hand it over to you. Texas A&M at number 19, Tennessee. Tennessee winning 20-13, to 13, a uh, 509 yards of total offense between the two SEC teams, a rarity in today's day. Ew. A- A&M's <laughs> quarterback, Max Johnson, was sacked twice by his own offensive line, getting tangled up in their feet. Uh, he also went 16 for 34 passing, 223 yards, two interceptions on the final two drives of the game for Tamu. And a 39.6 QBR. <laughs> that's a that's a crazy number. <laughs> the team as a whole rushed 28 attempts for 54 yards and a touchdown. Ew. For Tennessee, quarterback Joe Milton went 11 for 22 for 100 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Uh, they carried 49 times for 232 yards, including Jalen Wright going 19 for 136. And punting was winning for Tennessee as they won the field position battle, setting up a 39-yard kick return touchdown for D. Williams off the punt. After how, how did I know you were going to say punting was winning? Yeah, is it, isn't, were, it, isn't, that, isn't that your quote, punting is winning? That is oh, yeah, it's he the says, Iowa mentality. He is Iowa mentality, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it is the, you don't play offense, you play defense, and punting is winning. Wait, that is literally your whole motto. That's your Madden motto, too. Did oh, you say a 39-yard yeah. punt return? Yeah, they were punting from the one-yard line. A 39-yard so. punt Wow, wow. Ugly game. Um, Jimbo Fisher, hot seat again, 4-3 and three record. Tamu's 0-8 on the road at SEC-ranked opponents under Jimbo, including eight straight road losses for Texas A&M with their last win coming October 16th, 2021 at Missouri. Uh, is he ever – is he trending towards the best job in America being a fired, bought-out head coach? And is this the defensive SEC battle or the boringest SEC game of the year? Most boring. Boy, you got to go most boring. I think if you're Jimbo, your seat is scorching hot and it's almost ready to be cooked at this rate. I, I, I don't I don't know what else you're going to do if you're Texas A&M. It's so, that, that seat is so hot, it's not even a chair anymore. He's sitting on a burning stove pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. All right, RJ, send it over to you. Oh, man, USC going to South Bend and getting blown out. Uh, my prediction um, it came to life. It came true. Caleb Williams, man, he went 23 for 37, had 199 yards and a touchdown, but three picks. All in the first half. Yeah, three picks in the first half against, trust me, Notre Dame, they proved themselves. I'm not going to lie. They hung in with Ohio State, and now they go at home again, and then they actually beat a, it's a top 10 team, USC, by the rankings. Not that I think they are, but they're a top 10 team 
at the rankings at the time. They got the win. And looking at their running game, uh, their, high, their running back only had 46 yards on eight carries, and their highest receiver had 51 yards on six catches. That is not going to get the job done, and that is not what Caleb Williams usually does. You always see him for lighting up the scoreboard and lighting it up on the stat sheet with his passing yards. But overall, I mean, for Caleb Williams, this was a horrible game, and for USC as a whole, yeah, they still won time of possession by nine minutes, but still, you're 1-3 on fourth down. Um, you had a Notre Dame who didn't have a turnover on offense, so they kept the ball clean, which is what you want to do if you want to beat a team like USC. But the biggest question mark was their defense, and I believe that got exposed, in my opinion. But looking at Notre Dame, I mean, Sam Hartman did his job, going 13 for 20, 126 yards, two TDs and no picks. Then you have Estebe going for 22 carries, 95 yards, and two touchdowns, and he's averaging 4.3 yards a carry. That's what you want out of your running back in case uh, the passing game doesn't work out. Get a running back like Estebe, potentially one of the best um, this in this college football season. And uh, looking at the receivers, you had Chris Tyree who had two catches, but they were for 62 yards. That's 31 yards a catch. That's a 30-yard bomb every time he caught the ball which is huge to have those big plays that potentially get you in the red zone like Notre Dame did and score and, and just blow out USC. So in my opinion, I think Notre Dame deserved to win the game. It was a great bounce back win after that loss against Louisville. And for USC, you need to regroup. You need to sit down and get everybody together and say, what are we going to do to save our season? Because everybody was really high on this USC team this year. But I think especially that defensive group needs to uh, look into the rest of the year and saying how can we be better as a unit. Yeah, and they've got a tough they've got a tough road coming up too with that Pac-12 being so being so packed this year. It's packed the Pac-12. It is stacked this year. Exactly for the final potential final season of the Pac-12 before it turns into the Pac-2. Man, this is just the year. This is their year. I mean, they have so many great teams like Washington, Oregon, USC. But even Oregon State, UCLA, just to name a couple more. Yeah, Washington State, even though they're out of the rankings, they started hot. Yeah, they're still an underrated team in my opinion. But still, I think overall for this game, Notre Dame proved that they can hang in with the better teams in the nation, which historically we know has not been the case. But So overall, hats off to Notre Dame. They did what they need to do on uh, all three phases of the ball. So nothing but respect for Notre Dame here. Yeah, it was the true battle of the frauds, and one fraudulent team came out on top of the other fraudulent team, so Notre Dame is a little less fraudulent now. Yes, that is exactly the case, a little less uh, fraudulent, and for USC, uh, the question I had of how will their defense do, it got answered, and it got answered in a horrible way. Yeah, all right, making it to a different side of the Pac-12 with our game of the week last week, and it did not disappoint. It didn't come out as high scoring as I had predicted it would be. 36-33, Washington takes down Oregon at Husky Stadium. Now, like I said in last week's episode, quarterback battle. It really was. Um, But something that did surprise me was both teams' run games. Bucky Irving for for Oregon had 22 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown. And he added six catches for 34 yards in crucial, crucial territory for Oregon. 
And Washington's running back, Dylan Johnson, added 100 yards on the ground with a touchdown, too. But, obviously, the two main focal points of these teams, Bo Nix and Michael Penix, the Knicks off. And it really, it really was a spectacle. Bo Nix going 33 for 44, 337 yards and two touchdowns. He looked great. He really did. He has been looking great all year, and this Washington game was no, was no, apologies, but it it was a great game for Bo Nix. Yeah, absolutely, and even looking at the other side for Penix, like to start out the game, the throws he was making in like that first quarter, watching that game, I'm like, wow, he's poised, he's sitting here in the pocket, and even when the pressure and it starts to, the pocket starts to collapse, he's still making those throws. Yeah, and I mean, still only has one pick on the year. It's It's been a complete career turnaround for Bo Nix. And on the other side, Mr. Michael Penix Jr. has thrust himself into very, very much so sole position of the Heisman top, top spot. 22 of 37, 302 yards and four passing touchdowns to one interception. Now, Michael Penix, he, he is a star. But... These two quarterbacks, with all of their glory, they couldn't have done it without their two best wide receivers, like I said last week. Troy Franklin for Oregon, eight catches, 154 yards, and a touchdown. And on the flip side, Roma Dunze. Like I said at the start of the season, he has been the X factor for this Washington offense. Eight catches, 128 yards, two touchdowns in the air. Man. These receiving cores are nice. Yeah, I'd like to talk about Troy Franklin. I know coming into the year, this was a stacked wide receiver year. I, I think we can all agree with that. You had names like Abuka. You had Marvin Harrison, of course. Xavier Worthy. You had Adunzier. Uh, you had um, uh, Johnny Wilson. Nobody talked about Troy Franklin. And if you look at his stats through this year, he is arguably the top statistically best wide receiver of college football right now. He's got almost 10 touchdowns through six games he's approaching 1,000 yards already and his numbers are just off the charts he's also got 40 catches yeah he he's been balling and like you said there are a lot of good wide it's a stacked wide receiver class this year but Troy Franklin is sure making a name for himself this game however did come down to the wire Oregon with that missed field goal as time expired it it's a hard crusher it's a real heart crusher for an Oregon team that deserved a much better ending than that. They played their hearts out. It was a great game. And our game of the week did not disappoint this week. I think Oregon will be back. Oh, yeah, definitely. And some people say the game came down to when I believe it was Oregon. It was a fourth down decision late in the fourth quarter by Dan Landing that ultimately cost him that game some of the fan base it was saying so I mean you're talking about like a call away from it being flipped and Oregon getting that win so I I mean it lived up to the hype man it was exciting stuff to watch and man I was entertained yeah that fourth and short was a ballsy call I think it was a two minutes left right I believe somewhere like that, that yeah. I mean you win some you lose some those calls you got to make them but it ended up not going Oregon's way they'll be back this team's way too good to not be back they're not, and they, they, it's not like they suffered a huge loss. Um, no. It, they, we'll talk about it later, but they didn't move really down the uh, the rankings. In my opinion, Bo Nix was the better quarterback in this in this yeah. QB battle. I know Penix was putting, was making plays. He was making plays. He was he was apparently rapping, but he... Oh, yeah, <laughs> I saw that. 
he was making plays, but Bo Nix, if you look at how he played, he was the better quarterback all around, in my opinion. Yeah, and they're sure, I think as the season goes on towards the end of it, I think Nix and Penix will definitely be a bit of a show for the Heisman. I think these are probably the two quarterbacks to look at. Obviously, Caleb Williams is still in it, but with that huge loss, huge loss to Notre Dame, that sure tanks his odds a lot. But Penix and Knicks, keep their names on your radar for sure. Absolutely. It's the one and two of the Heisman race. And kind of as I told you a little bit, I'm like, this is whoever wins this game is going to take over that top spot. And Washington getting that win in such a close fashion, I think, solidifies him at one. But Bo Nix, wow, he's a close two. And some people might even have it flipped around the other way. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone in the nation, and especially Auburn fans, are rooting for Bo Nix right now. He, He's definitely doing a lot to save his name. The Bo Picks name has definitely been put to rest. Definitely. All righty. So that about does it for last week. Let's head in to this week. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we are really, really excited for this week because if you are not aware, it is the first installment of two this this year of Rivalry Week. Now, it's like Christmas. College football is like Christmas sometimes. It gives you gifts. It gives you gifts like games this week. Gabe, get us off. Well, I'm starting with a bit of surprise here. I know there was like the Michigan off and all that, but I have chosen Missouri versus South Carolina. It's a big quarterback battle, and I know how people love offense, so I've decided this one. Um, Missouri last week against Kentucky, they started off very slow. Um, Devin Leary, he looked like, as advertised, he was cutting through this Missouri defense, which is very, very eye-opening. You never want someone of his, let's just call caliber, slicing through your defense <laughs> but they got their stuff together especially the defense side uh, Brady Cook not his best performance in my opinion 19 for 29 167 yards one touchdown one interception he did have 10 carries for 40 yards in the touchdown with only being sacked once I think he's the heart and soul of this offense of course um, it runs through him and if he is playing good he's he's they're going to be great but one guy who's really popped up for me is Cody uh, Schrader the running back Hit 20 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown. He has really come up on the scene and has really given them a balance that they really needed. Because I know Missouri's question was, can we find a quarterback? Because Brady Cook is, of course, injury prone. Um, But him carrying the ball 20 times and Cook only passing at 29, that takes the load off of him, which really helps. The receiving core, Theo Wees, had a great game again. Six six receptions, 58 yards and a touchdown. Um, and then Marquez Johnson, the freshman, he scored off a fake putt. And let me tell you something. That putter, that punter for um, Missouri, he threw a dot, okay? Dude, he got mossed. Fun fact about that, I actually found a stat that Missouri's punter had more passing yards in that play alone than Iowa did their whole game. <laughs> Andrew, how do you feel about that? Just win. Just win, baby. <laughs> just one percent better every every game. But their defense, uh, one guy, Darius Robinson, the senior, a six five massive human being, six tackles, two sacks, and two and a half tackles for loss, led the team in all three categories. The team as a whole had four sacks, six tackles for loss, and forced two interceptions and three forced fumbles, only one of them being recovered. But you had an opportunity to force five turnovers against Kentucky. That's pretty good. Uh Leary, again, that second half looked ugly. 
I mean, you got to be looking for an- another situation for Kentucky because he is single-handedly making your team worse. And this Missouri defense has been suspect. I'm going to be honest. I know that LSU game, you're versing Jaden Daniels, and he's been spectacular this year. But that defense has been shaky. And when Leary started slicing it up, he was he, it looked bad. But then they got their stuff together in the second half, and they looked promising. But they had trouble stopping the run. And with Kentucky, that's a bit more sad because they have uh, Davis, who had 100-plus yards again and a receiving touchdown. But they just need to figure out the defensive side. Now for Carolina, Spencer Rattler. This was a, this was a game. The Florida game was amazing. Offense everywhere. SEC, like, knockout. <laughs> Is it another Super Bowl? No, no. Oh, God. <laughs> but, but uh-uh, no way. It was a game. Spencer Rattler, uh, he lost a lot of confidence at Oklahoma. Can, can we say that? He, was, he had such high expectations, and people were shutting him down, and he lost a lot of confidence. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, coming from that, coming from that QB one show, I did watch that QB one show with Spencer Rattler. I hated him in that show. He was so cocky in that show. Yeah, wasn't that the one show where he was like basically mouthing off at his teammates? Is that yeah the same? Yeah, He's, I I that, that just shows that you don't have the leadership you need to lead a team. Like at that time, I'm saying, but. Man, I hope he got that fixed. Yeah, and he did because he was a freshman. Remember, he's he's this hot shot, top prospect freshman, and he got he got smacked down the earth real fast. Cause oh yeah, this game, I think he got his swagger back, and he is he had three hundred thirteen yards, four TDs, and one interception, which was a forced throw at the end of the game. So I mean, it's gonna be on the stat line, but it's gonna be misleading. Seven carries at forty six yards, and he was twenty three for thirty, which is a very good uh, completion to attempt. I think the big thing for South Carolina in this game, though, even though you lost, your wide receivers are playmakers. Xavier Leggette, the senior, five catches, 110 yards with a long of 46. And their tight end, Trey Knox, had eight catches for only 50 yards but a touchdown. But their wide receivers were making plays. Spencer Rattler was chucking that ball up, and they were going up and grabbing it. Um, they they were. Have you not seen the highlights? Like No, I did. They were making plays for him. But then you got... Some interesting stuff here. South Carolina, not known for the run game, but they've established it. Mario Anderson, uh, before the Kentucky game, had a 100-yard day. This game, he has 98 yards for th- and 20 carries with a long of 30 and a receiving touchdown. But then I want to talk about the junior, Juju McDowell. He only had three touches, but he had two touchdowns in those, th- in those three touches, which is very impressive. He, he seems to be a good playmaker and can really shift shift between a receiving back and an actual running back but their defense was awful <laughs> uh i mean yeah there's no other way to say it yeah you allow you They're allow terrible. 400 plus yards for a for the passing Ooh. game the running backs were on pace for 100 yards i mean they were getting massive yards per carry they they got a block kick but they didn't force a turnover and they messed up a kick themselves they had a cornerback get ten plus tackles. Yeah, I think I think you can chalk it down to terrible defense when you let a uh, quarterback like Graham Mertz throw for four hundred <laughs> yards. 400. That that's not a stat you see every day. Yeah, four hundred touchdowns. Uh, four hundred yards. Four hundred yards. Four hundred touchdowns. <laughs> four hundred yards. Wow. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. They got four sacks and eight tackles for loss and six pass deflections, but their defense was just abysmal. But coming up as they now verse each other, this is a quarterback battle. 
I know Brady Cook is looking to get a bounce back game. I know Spencer Rattler wants to keep it rolling. Brady Cook is having a quiet, a great year quietly. Like he, 2,000 plus yards, 71% on completion percentage, 14 touchdowns to three interceptions. I mean, that's that's an outstanding stat line. Yeah. And, it, sorry. You yeah, you, you can go. Oh, so South Carolina is two and four, correct? Yeah. Is, I think it's fair to say that they're the best 2-4 and four team in the nation. Oh, yeah. It, they've lost a ton of close ones. But you also have to look at Missouri. This is why this matchup is so interesting. Andrew, I see you, I see you <laughs> scowling at me over there. Well, I already know where this is going. And I, I'll say something later, but I don't agree with where this is going. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. So, like, you, you, see, you see Missouri in a bunch of tight ones as well. They're, they're, they've won some close ones. The one that was eye-popping to me was Middle Tennessee State. They narrowly escaped that. Wow. But... Brady Cook has quietly been a great quarterback. Schrader has come to life and bought balance. But they need to get Luther Burden III more involved. He has 800-plus yards on the year and only had 15 yards last game. So he's quietly having a great year. Theo Wees and him both have five touchdowns, but their defense has been shaky compared to the South Carolina defense that's been dreadfully awful. But I feel like if South Carolina can get these at least one or two plays on this defense it's really going to shape this into their way. So with that being said, even though Missouri has a 64.7% chance of winning, oh no. I'm going with Spencer Rattler oh, on this really? one. Really? Oh, Andrew. There it is right there. That's exactly <laughs> what I knew what was going to be said, and I don't agree with it. And I get it. You've had some good upset picks this year, but Missouri is going to take care of business against 2-4 and four South Carolina and Missouri's at home, Emphas- and it's 3.30. Emphasis there on two and four. Records can be very misleading. I, I like to see Arizona as that's another true. one that's misleading. Arizona has lost a lot of close ones. The Razorbacks have lost a lot of close ones. 40-6 to six against Washington State. Auburn has lot of, lost a lot of close ones. Records can be deceiving. I'll take a shot at you, Andrew. The Browns record is very misleading. <laughs> Three and two is like a success at this point. <laughs> yeah. That is the wrong subject. That is but, for later. I'm just giving an example, but yeah, fair enough. I've got South Carolina winning this in an offensive battle, 41-31. 41? I feel 41 coming. 41? They're not combining for like 72 points. That 72? is not possible. That 72 points from South Carolina, Missouri? No. Yeah. It's like what? What four, are it's like you 40 smoking? Max. It's two. It's two. It's one questionable defense for the terrible defense and two great offenses. It's 40 max for me. 40 yeah. max as a. <laughs> As our as our hero Stephen A. Smith once said, "Stay off the weed," <laughs> and that is a perfect segue into you, RJ. Man, speaking of that, um, in USC we got Utah <laughs> going up. Hey, let me finish. Going on <laughs> in the L.A. Memorial Coliseum against USC, Snoop Dogg's favorite team. Oh, to yeah. add on. But still, looking at this matchup, man, this is going to be something. Last week for Utah, they had a 20-point win against California. I mean, they took the lead in the second quarter, and, man, they did not look back. That is for certain. Just looking at QB Bryson Barnes, went 15 for 21, 128 yards passing. And he also had eight carries on the ground, 50 yards, and a touchdown. But, wow, Utah was main, mainly led on offense by their running back, Sione Vaki, 15 carries 158 yards in two touchdowns. He basically averaged a first down a carry. 
That is nuts from a running back. And his long was 72 yards, man. That's, it, was, it was nice, man. He had a great, great game. Even the backup running back had some work. Jaquindon Jackson, 22 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown as well. Um, Utah's leading receiver was Mikey Matthews, went 7 for 53. And then Munyer McLean had a catch for 41 yards, so a big, a potential big play guy we could see in this matchup. Uh, for defense, though, Jonah Ellis, uh, the defensive end, had four total tackles, one and a half sacks, and two and a half tackles for loss, so he was all over the field. And junior safety, Cole Bishop, six total tackles, and a fumble recovery, which was huge in that game as well. But switching into USC, not as good as what they would have hoped. Losing by 28 against Notre Dame, like I mentioned earlier. Caleb Williams having a horrible game with the three picks. Um, their leading receiver only having 51 yards. And Michael Jackson, the third. And Marshawn Lydon, Lloyd. Jeez, sorry about that. Eight carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. But, man, USC... Did not do well, like I said, against their first real test, Notre Dame. And I think if USC wants to have a chance in this game, they're going to need to both pass the ball with Caleb Williams, we already know how electric he is, and have a running game, have an established running game that Utah can actually look to defend. Um, Looking at this game, USC is giving a 69.5% chance to win, which I think is... uh, it makes sense because you're in USC. It's a hostile environment. It's a late game. Um, it's at 8 p.m., no weather issues at all, so it's just going to be a battle of which is the better team. But looking at the two defenses, USC has allowed 397 yards per game. There's the Swiss cheese. That's al- Yeah, basically. That's almost like 400 yards a game. It, that's an improvement from last week. They were averaging over 400 that, last that, week. That's sad. But still, sad. it's still a sad stat comparing Utah's only allowing 277. That's like under 100 yards more, or basically allowing 100 yards less. Yeah. So... Overall, I and you and for Utah's, they only allow like 66 rushing yards a game, which That's for USC wild. is going to be a problem because you need to establish that run game. And if Utah's really good at stopping that run, you're going to over rely on Caleb Williams and potentially have the same result that happened in South Bend. Mind you, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. Um, because they're just two completely different teams, I just don't think that's going to be the scenario. But if Utah's going to want to win this game, you're going to need to pressure Caleb Williams. You're going to need to force him out of that pocket, collapse the pocket, make Williams uh, make quick decisions that potentially could get you interceptions or even getting a fumble from a, from the receivers or the running back. But overall, I think Utah, you need to get in Williams' head. You, need, you can't let that home crowd get too rowdy because I think once that happens, I think it'd be too late. But for this game... I'm going to go with USC. I still think it's Caleb Williams at home. I think the defense needs to step up, and I think at home in a pro- in a night game, they're going to get that done. So give me the Trojans 28-21 to in a close one. I like that. Do you think the, the Trojans will, able, will be able to hold a power conference team to under 28 points? Their offense hasn't looked good without Cameron Rising. Yeah, that's that was my point. I think with Cameron Rising, we didn't expect him to – not be the starting quarterback this year for Utah. Yeah, and there's talk right now about him getting a medical redshirt and going for a seventh year. 
Seventh year, really? Yeah, there's talk about wow. Cameron Rising getting getting a medical redshirt. Man, I think that would be something. I mean, looking at Utah next year potentially, if he is the starting quarterback for this team next year, that'd be they'd be very interesting to look out for. But I think for I think USC's defense, they have to get it done. I think Lincoln Riley is going to force the defense to practice extra hard this week, considering you allow almost 400 yards a game. I think this is the right way to prove that you can actually have a maintainable defense. The O-line needs to practice, too. I mean, Caleb Williams was running for his life against Notre Dame, and you're not going to win when he's out there trying to make a Madden play every single play. Absolutely not, and I think that's what Utah needs to take advantage of, an O-line that's potential, that's particularly weak. I think for the Utes, I think that's exactly what we need to do, get that pressure in there on Williams. While we're on the topic of Caleb Williams right now, do we think that last week's performance tanked his draft stock? Yes, definitely. Well, his draft stock, not so much, but how GMs look at him. They've been looking at him like he is like Jesus reincarnated on the football field. I'm talking like yeah. people are saying Kylo Murray-type legs, Aaron Rodgers-type arm, yada, yada, oh. yada. And it's like, oh, he's like generational talent. And it's like, yes, this humanizes him. This makes them look at the faults more than them looking at everything that's good. And yeah, in my opinion, this is going to be a bold take but I think Caleb Williams might be a bust. I just think Michael Pe- Michael Penix looks like the most pro-ready quarterback in the class, and it depends True. ultimately on where Caleb Williams goes. If he goes somewhere like Chicago or if they don't add any talent in the next offseason, New England, I just don't think he'll have as a great career. Yeah, and I, I've seen some of the reports, and I don't know the trueness of them, but I'm going to say them anyway. There are reports that he has a list of NFL teams he want to play for. He's got stuff like partial ownership. He might, I was just going to say that. He might have a little bit of an ego problem. And I'm not saying that's going to derail his talent, but we've had people like that. Ryan Leaf has an ego problem. It derailed his talent. Johnny Manziel had an ego problem. It derailed his tra- talent. He might have he an had, ego problem? He had an everything problem. It wasn't just an ego problem. Yeah. Like, like it, this he's, is, like, he's like Spencer Rattler if he was good. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good comparison, honestly. Yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a limb and say I agree with you there, RJ. He's got he's got bust written all over him. It's just like I don't even know. It. I think the safer pick at one would be Marvin Harrison. It. Yeah, but say if, most likely it's gonna be Chicago having that pick. It's going to be a receiver at one, and most likely Harrison. But that's something or, to look out for. Or we or they could take offensive lineman out of Penn State. He's not going one. He's not going one. With a, with a wide receiver talent like Harrison. I don't know. The receiver class. Chicago needs weapons if you're going to keep fields. True. But that's something to move on but for that, the draft. But that's, draft but that's right. They also have two right now, don't they? Yep. Because of the Panthers? Yep. Mm-hmm. They have one because the one is the Panthers. One because of the Panthers and two is them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So but we will find that out later yeah. on in April. Yes, That'll we will. That'll be fun to find out for sure. Yeah. These episodes are going to start getting heated towards those. But sending it over to Andrew with the second biggest game of this week, Tennessee-Bama. Number 17, Tennessee travels to number 11, Alabama. It is the third Saturday in October. Of course, last year delivered an absolute classic. But guess what? That is not going to happen this year. (laughs) They are not scoring that many points this year. Wow, bold take there. Yeah. Super bold take there. Yeah. Well, Tennessee, of course, Joe Milton and three good running backs. Of course, Milton, there's been calls for him to be benched. Milton's looked good since he came back, he's, though. He's been, he's been solid. 11 for 22, 100 yards last week. 
It's a poor performance that week, but I still think, like, who would you put over him? I don't think you should bench him, if, Nico, especially if you want to beat Bama. Nico Yameva? Who's the, uh, who's the dude that they started that one week? And he absolutely tanked. Man, I couldn't <laughs> tell. I don't want. I don't want Tennessee, football. but yeah, yeah. yeah I don't, no one really cares about Bama unless you're a Bama fan. So the running backs for Tennessee: Jalen Wright, who's uh, averaging seven point one yards a carry; Jabari Small, five point five yards a carry; and Dylan Sampson, six touchdowns, six point one yards per carry. It's a three-headed running back monster, and Mil- Milton can run it too. The offense averaging thirty-three and a half points per game and four hundred forty-three yards per game. Just seven turnovers. And just nine sacks allowed. Oh, sorry. Apologies. I thought you were talking about Bama before. I was talking <laughs> about Bama. No, actually, My yeah. Fault. Yeah, Nico looking at it, he was two for five, 11 yards, and a sack. So I don't know if you'd put that over Joe Milton, man. I'd stick with Milton all day. 42% on third down for this Tennessee team. Uh, their defense, though, is really where they make their money. 32.7% on third down allowed. 30th in pass defense, 197 yards per game allowed. 20th best in run defense, eight forced turnovers, and it's a great Tennessee defensive line led by James Pierce Jr., Tyler Barron, Bryson Eason, Omari Thomas. They had 11 quarterback pressures last week versus Texas A&M and just allowing 17.0 opponent points per game. As for Alabama, the Crimson Tide, a 24-21 home win over Arkansas last week. Eek. I almost called it. KJ Jefferson's solid, though. Oh, yeah, I, I all respect to K.J. Jefferson, but Alabama let that game get close. That defense yeah. made it look close. Nothing really um, eye-popping from that game. The offense averaging 30.1 points per game, 367.9 yards per game. Of course, quarterback Jalen Milrow, he's been sacked 26 times. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. A 64% completion percentage, four interceptions, 11 touchdowns. Two main running backs, Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams. The wide receivers, Jermaine Burton and Isaiah Bond, along with tight end Amari Nyblack. As for the Tides defense, Caleb Downs, Kool-Aid McKinstry, Tresman Marshall, Dallas Turner, and Chris Braswell. The team defense along 105.3 yards per game rushing, 187.1 passing, and a 32.69 opponent third down conversion percentage. Time of possession will be big in this one. Alabama, 29 and 56 seconds. Average Tennessee, 25-21. And as for how this game will go, it's going to be low scoring for sure. It's going to be grinded out. You don't really say that too much with SEC games. You don't really talk about the defenses. But here in this one, it's going to be huge. I have... I want to say Tennessee wins it on the road, but Alabama is the death star. They somehow <laughs> always win. Hey, he's not wrong, man. Most of the time, Alabama finds a way to come up top, especially at home. I mean, I think that's just the thing you got to go for. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it's it's hilarious that the Iowa fan always picks these low-light offensive games. <laughs> I wonder why that is. He's yeah. used to it. What else is he used to? High-scoring offense in Iowa? No I'll way. Bet, I'll bet you know both of the team's tight ends, too. <laughs> really? But I, I would love to watch Alabama lose. It would put their playoff hopes away. They would be gone, and we would not have to hear about them. But something just tells me they're somehow going to win, and the Alabama playoff narrative is going to continue. I'll take the Tide 28-24. That's fair. Yeah, I, I can mean, see it's that. a close game. I yeah, I mean, that. 
it's an SEC game. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, we've we've seen some shockers. So I mean, I don't think uh, we just have to wait until Saturday and find out. Yeah, I don't think Jalen Milrow has been crazy bad. It's just that you go from people like Tua, Bryce Young. Yeah. To Jalen Milrow. Yeah, Milrow's <laughs> been solid over He's the been past solid, few but weeks. It, you're just so used to these Heisman candidates. Exactly. And some I don't think we talk enough about is the Bama O-line this year has been historically not up to par at all. I think oh, no. that is going to hinder, uh, or it has hindered Milrow's p- potential to succeed in this in their offense. It's just because they have not too many good guys blocking him as like the huge prospects that we know of Bama's O-line used to being. So, I mean, I think that's potentially the big, big reason why Milrow's not the potential huge star. Like, yeah, he's shown some flashes, but I think still overall that O-line holds him back a lot. And you got to remember, he's only a sophomore. He is. He's got time. He's got a lot of time to develop. His legs are dynamic. He's got an arm. He just needs to figure it out. And I think he can. Yeah. I mean, we'll see this weekend. It's going to... Who knows? Maybe we could get an SEC Classic game. You, you never know with these two teams. But last year was last year was a spectacle. You don't see that very often. But speaking of spectacles, this week we have by far what I think is going to be game of the season. We have got, yes, I see your eyes being wide. This game never disappoints. Despite what team you're probably rooting for, which is usually Penn State, they usually lose, but <laughs> we've got a Big Ten heavyweight battle. We've got number seven Penn State traveling to the shoe to play number three Ohio State. Guys, first off, before I get into some stats, how you feeling about this? I've got two Buckeye fans with me here. I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. I'm always cautious, <laughs> especially when it comes to ga- the games against Penn State. We've won nine out of the past ten. It's in Columbus. Damn. It's a noon game. Our home atmosphere is always electric. So it's regardless of the result, it's going to be a great game. I think we do need to give the uh, the, the listeners some background as we do have two Ohio natives. And then we yes, have we do. Connor, who's been a Penn State fan. And then we have me, who almost went to Penn State. Yeah. So there's a lot of backstory for this game for us. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a 50-50 split in this room here because... I've been a Penn State fan all my life. My mom went there. Shout out, mom. <laughs> but we are, baby. This team's been rolling this year. They have looked solid. They've looked absolutely amazing. Such an impressive win over UMass last weekend. Great <laughs> oh, yeah. guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's up? What's up, Iowa? Shut out. That up, was Iowa? a very impressive win. Yes, it was. <laughs> Two shutouts on the year. Two shutouts. Took the whiteout game, though, for it. That's true. That yeah. Was, yeah, that was very disappointing. But honestly, the Penn State fans... They'd make every game a whiteout game without the colors. It's that that fan base, second largest stadium in the in the nation, right? Beaver Stadium. I believe behind, so. Behind yeah. Michigan, yeah. It's behind Michigan, yeah. yeah. So uh, I mean, uh, yeah, obviously top. Regardless of what happens, respect to that fan base, man. They are something else. Going into Happy Valley, man, it is. It was a challenge. Yeah, it always is a challenge. So obviously, much respect. Yeah, but we've got we've got a di- we've got a different scene from Happy Valley this week. We are going to. Columbus, Ohio, to the shoe. The horseshoe, man. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite places. Been there once. Man, it was it was an electric atmosphere. I went to a game against Indiana a couple years ago. Great atmosphere, great environment. Uh, Buckeye Faithful always is really, 
really awesome. So, man, you, it's going to be great. It's going to be great for sure. Yeah. I got to say, week one when West Virginia played Penn State, it hurt my soul to root against my Nittany Lions. But Penn State this year, I'm going to come out and say it. This is one of the best years they've had probably in program history so far. Oh, they have been absolutely lights out on defense. They have been absolutely amazing. Two shutouts on the year, including this last game over UMass, 63 nothing. I mean, what do you expect, UMass? But <laughs> one thing that I thought was absolutely incredible this game is our punt returner. One of our corners, Daquan Hardy, with not one, but two punt return touchdowns. He's got 129 return yards on three attempts. When you see that number, what do you think? He he is an X factor. You need to look out for that. Might not be talked about as much. That's what comes to my head immediately. Reminds me, unfortunately, of the Houston game. But still, I mean, special teams yeah. players can be X factors too. I can remember a couple years, about six ago. When Saquon Barkley took the opening kickoff to yes. the house, I was going to mention that. Yes. Ohio State came back to win, though. And I then, miss you, Saquon. And then they like pooch kicked it to avoid that. And then Saquon took it like 70 yards again on back to back returns. Uh, Sa- Saquon is what made my undying love for Penn State football even greater. That man, that man was a specimen in college. Not, I mean, not hey. Sean Clifford? Stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to say, hey, shout out JT Barrett, though. For I believe that was the Halloween oh. game. I sent, yep. you, I sent you a graphic, actually, today. I saw you looked at it, but no response. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. some bitter feelings for you. Man. I don't like JT Barrett. What did he do in the league? Hey, we, he didn't do anything. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Stroud and Fields have probably been the only yeah. two semi-notable Ohio State QBs, and God, I couldn't tell you how long. But still, <laughs> they get the job done for the Buckeyes, and that's what, that's what matters on Saturdays. Yeah. I mean... Going into what I was saying before about the UMass game, Aller, they haven't used him a lot in the past game, but he uh, he does have almost 1,300 yards on the year, no interceptions, which I think is a big stat to note. He's got over 10 TDs in the air. He's got, he added a rushing touchdown this week. He did only throw for 162 yards, but three touchdowns. I think his efficiency in the air has been amazing. I mean, he's only a sophomore. This is his first full year as starter, or I, one can assume it's going to be his first full year as starter, but... This run game for Penn State, it's been a focal point of their offense for years. It's a combined 246 rushing yards, 6.6 yard average, and four touchdowns on the ground this week. Now, Penn State's wide receivers are not ones to be messed around with. We've got Keandre Lambert-Smith. Last year, we or not last year, last week, we had Theo Johnson go for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Man. This is one this is one of the first seasons in a long time I can say that I see Penn State actually trying to contend in the Big 10. I really think this was this is their year, if not next year, cuz all every single one of these position players is they're pretty much all sophomores. This team is this team's going to stay around and I think I think they're going to be ones to look out for even next year, especially coming to the end of this season. Absolutely. I think especially next year because we're uh, Ohio State's losing both Harrison and Ibuka. Man, you guys could be something next year. I think next year is going to be the big year for you guys. Yeah. And it wouldn't be talking about Penn State without me talking about their defense this year. Man, the statistical best defense in the nation. 
So, yes, you're looking at me like that, and that's the Ohio State fan in you. Penn State's <laughs> got the best, got statistically the best defense in the, in the FBS. It's this year. not even close. It's it's no, not even close. It is not even close. They've got an interesting stat that I said to Andrew last night, and he was like, "Wow." 15 different players on this Penn State defense have recorded a sack this year. 15. That is scary. Yes. 15. Now, through the six games that they have played, they have 302 total tackles, 51 tackles for loss, netting 228 yards for loss, 27 sacks, netting 180 yards for loss, 7 picks, 6 forced fumbles, and a pick 6. Now, they allow the lowest yards generated per game in the entire nation with a staggering 193 yards allowed per game. When we've been talking about the defenses like USC and all that, you think of numbers like mid-300s, high-300s. Even 400, yeah. Yeah. 193 is it's such a refreshing number to see on defense because when you think of these games, you think of high-caliber offenses you don't think of shutdown defense that much. And this Penn State team is absolutely incredible. Uh, they lead, they are leading that category by a large margin with Michigan, the only team behind them. They play nobody, so it doesn't matter. Uh, to be fair, Penn State, they have not played some very historically good offenses. Delaware, FCS, UMass, they're not great. Iowa's offense is historically bad. That's Northwestern, true. Illinois, not known for offense. That's true. So, I mean, yeah, the Penn State defense has been great, but there is a little bit of context behind it. There is a little bit of context, yes, but when they're leading the nation by 40 yards per game, that's crazy. Yeah, and they, that's something that's something worthy of note. And they're, they're running ups and scoring defense behind, of course, Michigan, who also has not played competition, really, and they're running up behind utah and rushing defense which yeah you know it's not just a good at one thing they shut it down no they're extremely balanced in what they do yeah and like i said they they lead a lot of statistical categories number two in the nation in points per game allowed with eight number two in the in the nation with sacks they're only two behind texas a&m with 29 this defense has been absolutely incredible this year Absolutely. I think even a shocking name, even Texas A&M being up there, I was yeah. like, wow, that was yeah. not the name I would have expected. But yeah, wow. it's, it's not the name that anybody expects. It's, no, not really. Because Jimbo Fisher, like you were saying before, he's on the hot seat. It's it's not been good so far for Texas A&M, but they have led the nation in sacks, surprisingly. Hey, fair enough, fair play. I mean, got to give credit where credit is due. Yeah. So, there are a few key players I'd like to note. Like before I said, there's a corner, Daquan Hardy. With those two t- with those two TDs on punt returns, he also has two picks and two passes defended. Which I mean, he's leading the team in interceptions, and he's also got two TDs on special teams. You got to think that dude's a threat. Absolutely, and I think that has to be the guy to guard Marvin Harrison. It's got to be him. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, it's interesting because as a cornerback, when I see defensive backs, I want them to have the least amount of stat line possible because that means one thing they're locked down they won't throw it in your area so if you can if you can have like you said he doesn't have crazy stat lines and that's pretty good for a corner yeah that's a crazy good stat line for a corner at least this far in the the season now 
We've got two good linebackers. Obviously, we've got Abdul Carter. A lot of Penn State fans know him as probably our best linebacker, if not our second best linebacker. He's got a pick, a sack, and 15 total tackles. Got linebacker Dom DeLuca, who has our lone pick six this year. Uh, That is his only pick on the year. He's got two forced fumbles, a sack, and three passes defended. And our defensive end, Adisa Isaac. Apologies if I didn't pronounce that name correctly. He leads our team with five sacks. And there's so many threats on this Penn State defense. You got to you gotta think, if you're Kyle McCord, you are... It doesn't matter the setting. It doesn't matter if you're in the shoe or not. There's going to be constant pressure on him. And we'll see how he performs under it. Absolutely. That's the bit, one of the big key questions going into this game. How will McCord with an O-line not having Paris Johnson Jr. who went to the draft? Luke Weipler, the center, going into the draft... So you're having a little bit of newer guys on that offensive line. That's going to be a big question, just for, even for both teams. How is Penn State going to get that pressure? And how is Ohio State going to give McCord time in the pocket? Kind of a question for both teams. Yeah, uh, that's about all I've got for Penn State right now. Hand it over to you guys with Ohio State. Man, looking at this roster, it's going to be a key week for us. This is our biggest test by far besides Notre Dame. You barely survived the first test in Notre Dame on the final play uh, by Chip Trainum, but now you need to establish a run game. This is going to be a key in this game, and I'll say it again. Getting Travion Henderson and Maya Williams back potentially, we're not sure yet, but all signs are likely that they will play against Penn State. Those are two, they're basically your top two backs. It's huge having those two backs back because honestly that opens up McCord to the play action game. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not bashing McCord. He's been, he's been okay, up and down, I I would say. But having as many running backs, as talented running backs as you guys at Ohio State have, having them back and not being one dimensional off McCord is single-handedly going to win you guys this game get past that defense I absolutely agree you kind of took the words out of my mouth there perfectly I mean looking at Kyle McCord he's kind of slowly progressed into his role as starter being from Ohio State you're leading a top team Ohio State has consistently been one of the better teams in the nation for years now and looking at who was I mean he's been in a quarterback battle it was all of spring and the practices but ultimately winning that job, I think he was overall the right guy. I mean, comparing even him and Drew Aller, they put up similar-ish stats. I mean, McCord having uh, 1,651 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, only one interception. And considering he's played, in my opinion, a better talent than uh, Drew Aller has, I think that's something that's going a little bit under the radar. But... For Ohio State, it's going to be, how are you going to get Marvin Harrison involved? I think you're going to be a, need to be a little bit more creative. You can't just be showing him the same thing or the same uh, tape, basically, on how Harrison's being used. I think seeing Harrison as that long shot, deep shot guy, that opens up Emeka Abuka. You have t- potentially the top two wide receivers in college football. The amount of things you can do with that obviously is just insane and a quarterback's dream. But looking at this defense, I think this is a defense that's a little bit underrated in the eyes of most. If you're an Ohio State fan and know Ohio State football, you know the past couple years playing against that team up north, it's been the defense. 
It's always been defense. They wow, you allow big plays all over the place. But this is like the first defense I've seen in the past three years that has finally been able to bail themselves out and give the offense a chance to match. I think overall, looking even in the Maryland game, how we were struggling a little bit at first, but since ever since Josh Proctor got that interception, it just overall flipped. It flipped momentum for that game, in my opinion. Just looking at what Ohio State did on offense following, just getting that 20-point win against a very underrated Maryland team that almost, in my opinion, or in my thought, should have been ranked at that time when we played them. And overall, just how what they did against Purdue, uh, uh, shutting down a really uh, elaborate running back um, in Purdue, which has been a place Ohio State has historically been bad. And for that defense, <laughs> uh, trust me, it is not. It, I was scared that all last week. I oh was my scared, gosh. <laughs> Ask anybody around, man. I was nervous, but we got the job done, forty-one to seven. But looking into this game, I think, how are you going to shut down Penn State's uh, dual running back of uh, Katron, I believe it's Katron Allen? And yeah. Man, he is a dog. He is your guys' leading runner. How are we going to stop him? I think looking at our defense, it's, to- it's Tommy Eichenberg, an amazing linebacker that I think doesn't get the love that he deserves on this defense. He's just amazing. Him and Steel Chambers both. The the linebacker duo, man, man, they are special, and I think they're going to need to make big plays, especially considering there are two leading tacklers. They need to make a play on the ball and quick for sure. Yeah, and they're going to have to deal with Allen and Singleton too. Talking about uh, Nick Singleton being Big Ten Freshman of the Year last year, he obviously hasn't had an amazing start to the year, but him and Allen in that backfield – you know at any point in any game, they can set off fireworks. Absolutely. That brings up a point. Like, if Katron Allen maybe isn't having as good of a game, you guys have a second back that is almost, if not potentially even better than than Allen. So, overall, in Nick Singleton, and overall, I think Ohio State's cornerbacks need to be, you need to press a little bit, but you need to be right on them. You can't give them uh, yards after catch space. That's something I'm going to highlight very keenly because if one of your receivers makes a move and they're wide open, in Ohio State defensive in the past, the past couple of years, sometimes that results in the six points and potentially could result in the loss. So overall, I think looking at Sonny Styles and Josh Proctor, the two safeties, how are you going to make your name an impact name and a name that Aller will always have on his mind when he goes to try and pass the ball? And getting pressure, getting pressure, we can do that. We have two guys, we have two guys JTT and Jack Sawyer. Man, those are, those are two guys you don't want to mess with. And I think overall, if they even get to your tackles even a little bit, fluster them a little bit, uh, force Aller to make quick throws, in the shoe, that is not an environment you want to be down and be down early in. But overall, looking at this Ohio State team, this is one of the more complete teams we've had in the past couple years. And if we're going to get this win, it's going to be a mix of passing and rushing and overall getting to the quarterback and playing good coverage. So, man, this is going to be special from both sides. Yeah, it's definitely going to be it's definitely going to be an amazing game. And honestly, yeah, it is, it's just going to be an amazing game. So with that being said, 
Guys, if you'd like to give some predictions, I'll give a prediction for mine. I think this is a bit of a bold take, but I think Penn State goes in there, and I think Drew Aller cements his name. I think Penn State comes out with a W31-28. It's definitely going to be close no matter what. As soon as you said being bold, I didn't know if you were going to go the potential blowout route. No, 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 no. Man. I don't think a, blow, I don't think no. a blowout is I don't think happen. a blowout's impact. It's not going to be a blowout. And it never my, is. In my opinion, our home field advantage is the reason we're going to win this game. Our crowd getting loud on those third downs could be key for a first-year starter like Drew Aller. Give me the Buckeyes by 10. I'm going 31-21. Wow. Andrew, how do you feel about that? I do not agree with a win by 10. In fact, I'm very scared about this game. I feel like Penn State has a really good chance, but part of me just feels like it's playing at the shoe. That is the difference here. Um, McCord, he's been all right. Ohio State just wins big games in terms against Penn State. You know, Not recently against Michigan or whatever. I'll uh, take Ohio State. You mean big regular season games, right? Big regular season, yeah. yeah. I mean... Yeah, it, it's an interesting game. I see Penn State, one of the greatest defenses in college football I've ever seen. Like this year has been outstanding for them. And Ohio State, in my opinion, one of the most underrated defenses in this year's. They've not allowed. They've yet to allow a game with over twenty points against an opponent. Um, it comes down to one thing, in my opinion. That's quarterback play. It's the number one thing. Every both teams' rushing attacks are going to be on point, but that Penn State rushing defense is just absurd. So I'm going to have to go to Penn State in a 17-14 victory. Ooh. Very low scoring. Very interesting with that a very low scoring. But, hey, I mean, it could happen. Yeah, and see it. Travion Henderson is back this week, right? He's questionable. Well, yeah, him and William, Mayan Williams are both questionable, but we're expecting them to play. Okay. Yeah, I do like that take about quarterback play, though. I think Ohio State's definitely going to force Drew Aller to throw the ball. And, I mean, if Drew Aller is – who all the scouts were saying he was, he shouldn't have a problem showing his worth. So if the cards played out, I think Penn State will win. But, I mean, we'll see. It'll be a good one. We're going to see. Yeah. And now in honor of Rivalry Week, we've got a lot of games that we wish we could cover. We took one each, but there are a lot of games that we're just going to do a little pick them on. So with that said, guys, Michigan or Michigan State, I know your answer. It's going to have to be that team up north, man. Yeah, I think they're going to get it done, unfortunately. But, hey, it could be potentially a little bit closer considering a rivalry game, but I still think they win by at least 20 points. Yeah, it's especially with the situation with Mel Tucker. It's, Absolutely. That it, just has derailed that Michigan State program. So. Yeah. Mark, Dan, Mark is, you know, part of some legendary upsets. I'll go. It'll be a game through two quarters. <laughs> At the end of the day, Michigan's still winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think it's a pretty easy Wolverines W. Just like the rest of the season, easy schedule. Michigan State is in shambles. They're, they've lost a head coach. They've lost a culture. They've lost football games, and they've lost a season. And I feel like they're going to lose this game. So Yeah. I think, I think that kind of goes without saying that Michigan's going to win this game. Uh, next, we've got Ole Miss-Auburn. <sighs> Surprisingly closer than most people think. But, I mean, you got to go Ole Miss. The man Jackson Dart is... Man, he throws yep. darts. Got to go Ole Miss. He throws darts. Yeah, uh, I've got to go with my man Jackson too. I'm, I'm going. I'm I'm on the Connor train. Yeah, he's I on the, he's on the on Jackson the dart train. train. He's on the Jackson dart train with me. Yeah, um, not a bold pick. Ole Miss on the road. Clean sweep taking Ole Miss. All right, Washington State, Oregon, kind of goes without saying again. Uh, it could. Uh, I don't know. 
about that, actually. I don't know, man. Washington State. <sighs> they're a confusing team. They're very confusing. <laughs> they are a very confusing team. Like, how do you how do you start the season with two ranked wins and have your quarterback look like a Heisman candidate and then lose forty to six to Arizona? I don't I don't know, man. It's the result of just weird up and down football, man. You can look really good a couple weeks and start the season, then just end the season just on a on a train down going down south, man. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's the best way I can kind of describe it. So I take it you're taking Oregon. Give me Washington State. Oh, wow. I'm going the upset. Wow. I'm not very confident, but I I want an upset here. So wow. give me Washington. No, screw that. Give me Bodacious. Bodacious coming off a loss due to his kicker. But he's gonna come yeah. out firing. Yeah. Give right. me the Ducks. Yeah. Give me a give me a Bodacious legacy game. He's he's going he's going for 400. I don't care. It wouldn't shock me honestly. Yeah. So just just watch now that I say that that's going to be my terrible take that everyone's waiting for. <laughs> Washington State's going to blow him out. You're the hey. only one who hasn't had yeah, one. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. I haven't had a terrible terrible take. But to end it off, UCLA Stanford, which is a little interesting considering Stanford last week. Awful. Wow. Okay. It's interesting. Awful. Awful first half. Yeah. But that second half revival, I mean, but that first half was awful. Yeah, what was with that wide receiver going for 300? <laughs> that was crazy. Absolutely, man. It's going to be a very a more interesting game than people think. I think you got to go UCLA. I think overall they're the better team. But still, Stanford is on a healthy rise. So, I mean, don't be shocked if this game's a little bit closer than some people think. Just stop it. UCLA, end of discussion. Give me yeah. Stanford. No, 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 no. Oh. I'm going Stanford. Wow. That, that second that's half. Bold. That's bold. That second Very half, bold. if they can ride that, I mean, I, I know Colorado's defense is horrible, but I'm going Stanford. I feel like they can get it done. UCLA's been up and down. Yeah, we're going 3-1. We're going UCLA. I don't care. I don't care about that second Call half. Call me I LeBron like. James because I'm about to bring one home. Oh, my that's God. That's crazy. All right, so heading a little into the AP poll, we have... A very shaken up AP poll. We are starting at 25 with the team we just mentioned, UCLA. Iowa making it back in at 24. Tulane creeping back in again at 23. Uh, Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Air Force at 22. Uh, Louisville dropping to 21. Uh, Mizzou at 20. Uh, LSU staying down in that bottom half at 19. USC fraud central. Thank God. Dropping to eighteen. Thank God, man. That's stuff you love to see. That's stuff of dreams. We called it. We did call it. Uh Tennessee at seventeen. Uh Duke remaining around their spot at sixteen. Uh Notre Dame going all the way back up to fifteen. Utah maintaining at fourteen. Ole Miss at thirteen. Oregon State climbing up the ladder to 12. Bama stays at 11. North Carolina cracking into the top 10 for the first time this year at 10. We've got Oregon at 9. Deserving not so big of a drop. Uh, Texas at 8. Penn State dropped to 7. Oklahoma dropped to 6. We've got Washington at 5, who have two first-place votes. Um... Florida State at four, Ohio State at three, Michigan at two, Georgia at one. Top four stays the same. Guys, what's your thoughts? I'm looking at this AP poll. A lot of movement, a lot of shaking. Shout out to the surprise team of the year, in my opinion. Oregon State up to 12. DJ. Wow. I wasn't, I mean, with from DJ, I was not expecting that Oregon State team to be this good and this highly ranked. 
this late in the year. So a quick shout out to that Oregon State team. But looking in a couple spots ahead of them at 11 and 10, I'd st- I just still think Alabama needs to be above North Carolina, in my yeah. opinion. I think I, it's very interesting. I get it. North Carolina is that undefeated team. And, yes, the votes are actually pretty close comparing uh, looking at them both. But still, I mean, I understand why, but at the same time, man, Bama's just a better team. You're going to get your wish, RJ, when Alabama beats Tennessee by one. Alabama is going to move to top five at least. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Knowing the voters. It's got to be. Knowing the voters. At highest, you go eight. Uh, And at highest, you got to go eight if they they pull that out. Yeah. I Uh, mean... I mean, hey, shout out, everybody give a round of applause. USC finally down to 18. Hey. Scott, clap at that. Thank you, voters, for finally coming to your senses. Finally understanding that this team, I mean, the defense is just the main, the huge top reason why they're the frauds. But still, I mean, overall, a lot of movement in the AP poll, and I'm excited for these future weeks. I don't understand why Iowa is 24. Six and one record. That's all that it's not pretty football, but it's winning football. Liberty's undefeated and they have five top twenty five votes. They have a better offense and a crummy division. Iowa plays in a power five division. All I have all I have to say about this is the G in USC stands for greatness. (laughs) Oh my god. Little joke there, it's not there. I mean another thing to add on to that with Iowa being ranked, I think they're just running out of teams to rank and that twenty five to twenty three to twenty two slot. I think they're just I don't know, man. If you at, have one loss, potentially see, undefeated, hey, you're in the top the, 25. At this point, just give a bid to James Madison. I know. They have 70 they, votes. They're so close, They're so man. close. They're, they're so close. At, I want to see them crack at least once this year. Hey, I mean, UCLA on upset alert. They could do it. It's very they true. Possibly. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts? Uh, I think the one to note would be that Washington has more votes than FSU and Ohio State to be first. I I agree. That Oregon game submitted them as yeah. a crazy team to, to watch. I think for right now, that's the right call. But, I mean, after this week, I think that's going to change. Oh, yeah. Penn State and yeah. Ohio State, are, one of them's moving into that second spot. A- I mean, absolutely. I believe they should. Yeah. And, I, I mean, if – I mean, you can make the argument that that, that team could be won. You could if, it's, if Ohio State wins. If that Ohio game, State won. If Ohio State – now, I, I don't think Penn State but, makes yeah. one. It's the battle for the two. Yeah, um, you win this game, you knock off Michigan, who has not played anybody. Yeah, um, just depending on outcome. And Ohio State has knocked off Notre Dame and Penn State. If they beat Penn State, that would put them at the number two spot, undoubtedly in my mind. At, at the very least, yeah. A uh, quick thing I will add here: I think if Penn State does end up winning this game, I believe they should take over Ohio State's spot at three. I think they're just a better team than Florida State if they get that win. If Penn State went into Ohio State and won by 30-40 in blowout fashion, I think you would have to move uh, Penn State to number one. I don't see that happening. I don't think either team would jump up to two, sadly. So, winner of this game gets three and some first-place votes. Neither team is going to win by 30 or 40. That game is going to be very close. I think the max uh, either team would win by is 14. I think 10 is the max. Or that, even 10. I would say something in the low double digits, like, you know, a botched lateral or something would end up being... Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But... Oh, and the ball is free. Oh, it's picked up by Jalen Watts Jackson. Can we have have another... uh, Mistake for Michigan on the punt, please. That'd be funny. That would be absolutely amazing, man. Uh, But before we wrap it up, I've got a quick question for you guys regarding Penn State, Ohio State. If 
Penn State beats Ohio State by a decently convincing number by seven or ten, do we think they could win out? Do they play Michigan? Yes. Michigan they play home. Michigan at home. Yeah. They, I think it's, I believe it's stripe Do out. they play before Ohio State or before? Or helmet stripe. Or no, helmet stripe was, I don't, I don't remember. Helmet stripe, we know they already had helmet stripe. Penn State would have to be a good favorite to win out then. And if not, you're going to the college football playoff if you go into Ohio State and win that game. The winner oh, yeah. of this game is set up to go to the college football playoff regardless yeah. of a loss to Michigan. But I absolutely agree. I think yeah. depending on which team wins, I think if Penn State wins, the, I mean, that looking at that against the, the game against the team up north, I think you're looking at a 50-50, honestly. I mean, in that home field probably gives you like a 55-45 advantage if Penn State does get the win. So, I mean, overall, this is a very, very huge uh, college football playoff uh, indication game. Yeah, this is it's – it's a huge matchup. And now we're heading into some NFL. A new segment. We do have a new segment for you guys. We – since the NFL loves to play around with turf, we've got, <laughs> we've got an injury report for you guys. RJ, you want to kick it off? Absolutely. Uh, man, the Cleveland Browns have had a decent amount of injuries. Man, obviously the top one being quarterback Deshaun Watson. However, there has been some optimistic news that he is trending in the right direction. Potentially, he could start against Indy in Indianapolis, but I am in favor of sitting him out an extra game. I think just get him the rest he needs. He might not be 100% the whole year, but get him as close to 100% as you can get. Um, some good news, though. Joel Batonio, with his knee, was limited in practice Wednesday. I believe he's going to play and get that start, especially with Michael Dunn, his backup, heading on IR. Uh, Garrett Cooper. Uh, oh, Garrett was um, did not practice, but that is rest-related. He will be fine. Uh, Dustin Hopkins will be fine. Kareem Hunt did not practice, but I believe with a little bit more rest, he'll be limited. But I be- still believe he will play. Um, Cedric Tillman, we're looking to get him back. Anthony Walker from concussion is a very interesting one. With concussions, you cannot mess around with those. You can't really predict them either. I think it would be a huge loss if he's out, but I think that could be a potential game-time decision. If not, we'll know by Saturday. Hoping he can play, though. He's a really good guy. Love him on that linebacking core. And, I mean, looking overall, I think for the most part, this is one of the more healthy, more healthiest we've been since, obviously, that Chubb injury. So, overall, I think for the Browns, it's going to be a very interesting uh, rest of the week to see what will happen on the injury side. But still, you got to have some cautious optimism going into Indianapolis, regardless of the injuries. Yeah. Uh, Gabe, you got anyone for the Commanders? Yeah, I'm actually doing two injury reports. Um Whip Oil Man Cameron, who oh, has strep. Yeah. He, he has strep throat. Shout out to he Cam. Is out. Um, as I look, there's no one out for Washington except a third stringer, which is good. Um, they have more IRs than players, I'm, I'm pretty sure here. Um, they're all backups. They have, if I'm reading this right, I think they have nine players on IR. Um, Yikes. But the big questionable is all Kendall Fuller, who did not practice. Uh, Cam Curl, who's questionable, but he'll probably play. He was like, he played the whole game against Atlanta. I don't see him sitting out the next one. Deron Payne was shaken up, but he's not even on the injury report. Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat were both limited, but with Montez Sweat being a finger, I don't see him being out 
but Jonathan Allen did have knee trouble. And for Cam Chicago Bears, who finally have running backs, but their biggest running back, Justin Fields, is doubtful. Oh, my so, God. Wow. Our man from Martinsburg, West Virginia, Tyson Padgett, will make his first start, it's looking like. Shout out to shout out to uh, Padgett. We love you. But um, Roshan Johnson is questionable and looking to be back for not only the Bears, but for Connor's fantasy. Yes. Um, IRs, you got Braxton Jones, backup offensive lineman, Inquimicale St. Brown, um, better what? known Inquimicale. <laughs> I'm on Raw's brother. I'm on Raw's oh, brother. Okay. Better way to put uh, it. He's, okay. no, he's known for that. So Okay. Yanning uh, Ngakwe is questionable. And Eddie Jackson, like every other week in his whole career, he is questionable. Jeez. So, pretty nothing. much, yeah. Oh, Khalil Herbert's on IR, so... Yeah, that's, that that's pretty much it. Affects my fantasy bench. Yeah, get interesting to know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Andrew, hand it over to you. Although not on a not anybody's team, the Jaguars playing tomorrow night. Trevor Lawrence is questionable with a knee injury. He's made forty straight starts to start his career. Forty one is in danger if he's not able to go. It'll be CJ Beathard. <laughs> that's a huge injury considering that's that's a Thursday night game. He doesn't have much time to try and heal it up. So I think I believe they added another QB to the active roster, so I'm not sure if it's looking that good. But, I mean, hey, we'll Ugh. figure it out. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, looking around the league, besides just Jacksonville, some interesting notes. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't practice Wednesday afternoon. He is most likely, I'd be shocked if he plays this week for the Raiders. But, I mean, you never know. But I think the Raiders will, again, be without Jimmy G. Um, the Cardinals, shout out to uh, bringing a couple of key, key, notable guys opening their practice windows, Buda Baker and Kyler Murray. Oh, man, that'd be huge to get those guys back pretty soon. I believe they're not going to play this upcoming week or potentially the week after. But since in that 21-day window they need to be active, I think, in the next couple of weeks, having them back could rejuvenate that young Cardinals team that could potentially add a couple more wins this season. Um, looking around, kind of the final injury I'll point out, and wow, it's a huge one. Panthers safety Jeremy Chin has a significant quad injury, and he is supposed to be out for six weeks. Ooh, that's that's going to kill that Panthers team that still does not have a win. Yeah, they've already lost Shaq Thompson for the year. That was, we're still leading Taco last year. Exactly. That... That young defense is getting banged up. Yeah, I don't know about Jeremy Chin being the thing that kills the Panthers. I think the Panthers are the thing that's killing the Panthers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that offensive line kills every unit. Yeah. Basically. It's, it's bad. But, but, I mean, looking around the league, I mean, that's kind of all we got. I think there's another one that we could mention. <sighs> we Gabe's... <laughs> oh, <laughs> Gabe's God. Pissed. All oh, right. Geez. So, we have a... I don't want to say it's breaking. Everyone probably knows about it already, but... Colts rookie quarterback Anthony Richardson is done for the year. I believe it's an AC joint. I believe so, yeah. It that is was, a shorter, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he he went to get a second option and overall as the I mean it was an injury that already happened, but still a huge update to bring. Um I mean that for I mean that was gonna be an epic rookie of the year offensive rookie of the year showdown, but I mean, man, yeah. that's gotta hurt that has to hurt if you're indie, especially considering you're just now getting back Jonathan Taylor. It's definitely the right move. You have to be more safe than sorry. Um I'm an OG I'm a Washington fan, so OG three flashbacks as always. Ooh. But 
this means more Gardner Minshew. CJ Stroud has now single-handedly won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Yeah. He has to keep up that play, but yeah, I think and ultimately it's his to lose. Sam Howe is now my QB1 in fantasy. Hey, so, Waffle man. House. Waffle, Waffle House. House. Man, but I mean, for India, young team that was on the rise, still having Gardner Minshew as a backup. He's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league. It, I mean, honestly, I think he he has potential, so I don't think their season is totally over, but still, man, I don't think they're winning that division at least. He just had four turnovers. He's still not bad. <laughs> I still don't think he's bad. I mean, it, it, what was it, against Jacksonville? Yeah, wait. I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was in Jacksonville, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's a place that the Colts really historically haven't played too, too well in. But I think overall going in a test against a really one of the best defenses we've seen in Cleveland, ugh, it's man, yeah. he might have himself another rough outing. Yeah, and an end to a very promising rookie campaign for Anthony Richardson. And like Gabe was saying, we need, with these mobile quarterbacks – you need to be careful with them. And I think it is the right decision to shut them down for the year. So, we are heading into our fantasy roundup. Guys, how are your fantasy teams looking? I know Gabe's is not looking very good. Okay. So, I guess I'll start off because we'll, we'll get, the, we'll get the, the bad out of the way. All you guys are pretty sure are doing well, I would say. Um, my fantasy team was projected to get a hun- under 100 points last week. Anyone with a brain can say that's um, bad. Mm, that's not good. Then they said, Gabe, how about this? We'll score 70 and see how good that is. There's something <laughs> key that you're missing out. You played me last week. I ultimately ended up getting the win. But you're you, welcome. You benched Travis <laughs> Kelsey. Okay, so here's... You go, you go, we go low, I go lower. We, we, we ha- I have an explanation for that, and it's not a good one. So it, um, it said he was questionable, like all my team. Like I had nine players questionable coming up on Thursday. And I completely forgot to put Travis Kelsey in. Um, so uh, we, uh, Rashi Rice got me 11 points, but Travis Kelsey got me 21 points on the bench, which was a third of what I scored combined. <laughs> I still don't think that was going to give you the win, but still. It would not. <laughs> I mean, A, looking at my team, having Eckler back and Henry was very huge for my team, ending up getting the win, heading in a more positive direction. We are sitting evenly at 500. As I go up against Ian, which he has switched his roster. So, <laughs> overall, it's going to be a very interesting game. And Henry is on bye, uh, along with Tank Dell and Jake Ferguson. So, very interesting to note and see how my team will do. Hoping to get a win. Hoping to get above 500. I swear to God, if you lose that, I'm screwed. <laughs> I might be screwed if I lose that, honestly. All right. So, sending it over now to Andrew. Your fantasy team is kind of looking like the Backstreet Boys right now. You got bye, <laughs> bye, bye. Yeah, four and two, though. That's all that matters. We're still winning games. We're scoring a lot of points. Uh, this week, up against RJ's roommate, Dom. Don't matter. Don't care. <laughs> the march to five and two. One and oh every week. Um, great performance from Brees Hall last week, and I expect more of that out of him. 4.9 from Devontae Adams, not great, not good. I had to play Houston's defense last week, and that worked. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson will probably find his way back into the starting lineup. I don't know how I'm going to manage the bye. I'm just going to hope I win, and as long as I'm not at the bottom, I don't care. I mean, we've had a good run. 
I think that's what everybody's thinking. Just don't get last. That's kind of – it's not just getting first. It's not getting last. Yeah, it's it's easier for some. Yeah. Oh, very for sure. It's not it's not very Ricky Bobby this league. It's not very if – you, if you ain't first, you're last. But, RJ, how's your team looking? <sighs> Man. I mean, are you talking NFL team? I think I already went over my fantasy team. Yeah, he went over his fantasy team. Oh, yeah. Looking – I mean, we got to talk about our NFL teams. Man – and wow, I didn't think they were going to do it. I thought we were oh, going yeah. to get potentially Niners. blown out. Shout out to the Cleveland Browns defense holding that tough, tough, potentially, I think the best team in the league, San Francisco 49er offense, minus a little couple injuries to, you know, CMC, Debo. So, but still, very great victory. That is a season changing victory. You are now 3 and 2 heading into Indy. A better game, obviously, than playing San Francisco, but the home crowd was into it. The home crowd was loving it. Those white uniforms were out. My favorite uniforms. I had my JOK jersey on, and, man, he had a game. So shout-out to JOK and the rest of the defense. But P.J. Walker got the job done. Not really looking the best having those two picks, but besides those two throws, I mean, he the veteran experience was there compared to DTR the week before. I mean, or before the bye week. But in my overall, in my thinking, great overall showing by the Browns. Finally getting some running games, showing without even Chubb what we can do on that side. But overall, huge, huge shout-out to the Browns getting a victory and proving the world wrong and taking it week by week. Jake Moody really showed out in Cleveland, <laughs> the Michigan man. Oh, yeah. In front of his whole family as well. Yes. That was crazy. That made it even better, man. It's easy to laugh about it, but kicking in Cleveland is just so tough, and that's why for so many years Phil Dawson was awesome because kicking in Cleveland is just its terrible. So to have a valuable kicker for the Browns is so important. AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, Dustin Hopkins. Yeah, I hate him. Uh, hey, I love him. So, <laughs> hey. Well, let me tell you something about he, Dustin. He gets us wins. He, he, how many 50 yardages did he have the last game? Last game? Last game. Oh, God, I couldn't tell you. Exactly. <laughs> last game? We know we were on bye. So, yeah, last game would be Baltimore. Uh, well, no, against the 49ers. Oh, against the 49ers? Uh, over 50? I got to win. He, yeah, that's all that he really can't matters. kick over fifty. As a Washington fan, I know that. Hey, I mean, he made twenty-nine yarder, forty-six yarder, forty-two yarder. He's he's efficient inside fifty, but once you try to get outside of fifty, the flaws are shown. Yeah. Well, we usually have some offensive power to at least get it under a fifty-yard field. Yeah, goal, I'm never used to that. So. Yeah, yeah. And but. speaking of the Commanders, let's toss it over to you, Gabe, with a very interesting stat about <sighs> Sam Howell's season so far. So you guys know. I think Connor knows, but I'll tell you, Danny Dimes is the number two sack quarterback. I just saw it is 28, um, and you know how many times Danny Dimes has gotten sacked. He broke his neck pretty much getting sacked. Sam Howell, guess how many sacks he has taken? 34. Maybe. It is 34. Really? 34. That was a complete guess. I'm not going to lie. I'm it is 34, um, and our offensive line is not getting better. <sighs> One post I want to shout out, Cornelius Lucas. He had to fill in for Charles Leneau. And he had 29 uh, snaps pass blocking, and he allowed zero QB pressures. So at least that's something. But honestly, the offensive line this game wasn't terrible. It was Sam Howe sticking in the pocket too much. As a quarterback in the NFL, I would say the average time for pocket is around three seconds. I would say that's fair. Three seconds in the pocket, you should be able to find at least something. Something will be open. 
he was sticking around the pocket for five, six sec- five or six seconds, and you're going to get sacked no matter what if that happens. So he just needs to be better in making decision-making. He's technically a rookie. Um, he's got the most touchdowns for an NFC East quarterback. He is one of the higher ones in yards. He's got more interceptions. So he's got more everything, but more the that also goes with the bad. So I'll take the Atlanta win. It's on to the next and I forget who we're versing. <laughs> you guys also, yeah. didn't you guys also break like Desmond Ritter's insane yes. home oh, record? We break streaks all the time. The Steelers, the Eagles. The Ravens preseason. The Ravens preseason, the Bears yeah. losing streak, Danny Dimes losing streak on primetime. We break oh, all yeah. types of records. Oh, yeah, you know, you guys know who you're playing this week. It's sack on sack. Oh, it's sack. sack on sack. Tyrod Taylor comes to town. Ta- oh, yes, it is. it is. It is Tyrod Taylor coming in. It is that same crew from last time he, that he screwed look, us over. He didn't look the worst though against Buffalo in Orchard Park. That was very shocking. Well, now we have. I, I saw this the same officiating crew as last year that told Terry McLaurin, "Hey, you're in perfect position. Go ahead and run the play from the one yard line and proceed to throw a flag on him." I mean, that's the same crew we have, so you can put us three and four. Yeah, just get ready for a typical mid-season NFC East mid-off. Yeah, it's it's gonna be. I don't want to say fireworks. It's going to be like grocery store fireworks. Yeah, NFC East is bad this year. Even though the even though the Eagles are five and one, or yeah, they're five and one. They've looked bad. I mean, and then you just lost to Zach Wilson. I mean, I don't know what's up with Zach Wilson beating the best teams in the league and losing to the worst ones. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, the Jets were out. Both their starting quarterbacks too. Yeah, so it was like a practice squad secondary, but still, shout out to that Jets team getting that job done. That very, very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now talking about my team going into the bye week, a very much needed bye week. Even though we go back and play the Niners in San Fran after our bye week, the Cincinnati Bengals take care of business. The defense looked great. The defense actually looked good. They forced Geno to throw two picks. Um, it was great. They We're starting cl- to win again. They clutched up for you because I believe it came down to one of the, that final yeah, it came drive. Down to they the, were in the red zone. They were in the red zone. That, I believe it was a sack. Was it a sack to end the game? I know you got a sack on that. Yeah, drive. It, was, it was a Trey Hendrickson sack but to end still, the game. That was a huge. That was a great win for you Talk. guys overall. You guys are getting them back on the bounce back. Yeah, back to uh, back to five hundred. Starting the season very very slow at one and three. It's we're going on a win streak. Hopefully we can keep it going. I think the buy is very much needed. Also so Boa especially. Yes. Yeah, and T. Higgins. And T. Higgins. That would mean that we probably get T. Higgins back next week. Uh it's it's looking good for us right now. And probably one of the best divisions in football, the AFC North, where everybody has a five hundred or better record. Yeah. Yes. It's very interesting. Fight. That's somehow interesting because the Steelers are bad offensively yeah if only we could so play if that, but if that only, defense if only we could play every game at home because we seem to be much better at home than we do in, on away games so san fran expect us to probably get exposed <laughs> like we have been getting for most of the year but i have optimism i think we could make it a close game uh if not win I mean, winning would obviously be the objective to that, go in there. Yeah, but that'd be huge in oh, San yeah. Fran getting that win. Oh yeah, very huge. Because that Browns defense looked great. Our defense has looked amazing so far this year, for the most part, at least, with the, with the exception of a game or two. But yeah, I think put Brock under that similar distress. Yeah. Even it's just Trent Williams. I mean, there's not too many other notable names on that San Francisco O line. So maybe if you guys can get some pressure, make it a game. You never know. Don't yeah. they have Mike McGlinchey? Is he not on the team anymore? 
I don't think he did is. Did he retire? No, I believe no, he's he in not Denver. No, I believe he he's in Denver. I must be he thinking might of be in Denver. I think he's in Denver. But Trent Williams did not look good against Miles Garrett. He had, I so believe. Basically. Yeah, he had his, like. Worst game of his career. Yeah. It so was Miles Garrett. The yeah. whack-a-mole champion showed out. I, like, yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think the key to this game is getting Trent Williams into a fight early so we can get him ejected. <laughs> so Trey Hendrickson, the Sam, instigator. <laughs> Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, you've gotta you gotta bring out your AFC North Hood tendencies. You gotta get him you gotta get him fired up and you gotta get him ejected. Please, 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 please. What would George Pickens do? That's what you gotta ask yourself. What would George Pickens do? And that's do you bring that AFC North mentality to any game? You've got a chance. Any AFC North game team has a chance. Except for the Steelers. I hate the Steelers. I mean, hey, don't we all? We all do, yeah. All right. That is going to do it for episode six of Stirring the Pot. Thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Appreciate all the love and support. Peace out. Peace. Yeah.